Well, good evening, everybody. Hope everybody had a good afternoon and got some rest and ready and rejuvenated to go back to work tomorrow if you have to do such a thing. Well, tonight's topic, we're going to be dealing with the biblical worldview, kind of the fundamentals of what a worldview is, particularly what a worldview or Christian worldview looks like, and then how we can relate that to our lives in, a, in an everyday uh, aspect as we engage the world as we raise our families and the like so if you got any prayer concerns just put them in the comments below and uh, we will be sure to pray for those if you have follow-up questions on this issue just uh, place those again in the comments and we will tackle those those as we as we can so I'm gonna say a prayer and we'll get started with our topic tonight father we thank you for this time you've given us the opportunity that we have to uh, be able to study and, and think about these issues and how it, our Christianity actually impacts our life on an everyday basis. And so, Lord, as we enter, engage in this idea of, of a biblical worldview, I pray that you give us ears to hear and minds that can comprehend and that it will translate into practical application in, in our lives. And we just thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> well, first, I guess we've got to define what the issue, what, what a worldview is. So, in a nutshell, some people have defined worldview as the lenses by which we see the world or filter the world. A very simplistic uh, concept of a worldview, but it is basically uh, a, our set of fundamental beliefs by which we understand and react to the world that is around us. Uh, so in that sense, it is how we filter uh, everything that we see around us, how we understand the things that we see around us, and therefore how we react to those things by way of our decisions and actions that we, we take. And worldview, I guess the fundamental aspects of it, have to do with, and again, this is very nuanced, okay, because they're, they're broader uh, spectrums of worldview in this world, but predominantly in our culture at the moment, and and for the most part in the Western world in particular, uh, I think worldview has to do with, or at least most people would think that worldview has to do with these fundamental elements. One, how we view God or what, what we believe about God, what we believe about man, what we believe about truth, what we believe about knowledge, and what we believe about ethics, okay? So God, man, truth, knowledge, and ethics. Basically, five fundamental concepts or uh, truths that uh, make up our worldview, or, the, or at least the foundational elements of our worldview. And so in, in our context, I believe that there are, there are two primary competing worldviews. Again, there, there are nuances to all of this, but there are two primary uh, worldviews that are competing in our cultural context in this time in history, and that is, one, a secular humanistic uh, worldview, and secondly, in, in, a broader, in the broader spectrum, is a theistic worldview, in the more narrow sense, is a Christian theistic worldview, which is what we'll be talking about tonight. 
And so you have to look at these worldviews, again, painting with a broad brush, because they're, they're going to be crossover, because they're, they're secular humanist, uh, or at least people who would have been influenced by the worldview of secular humanism in our society that would pull uh, some things from the Christian theistic worldview, especially in our nation, uh, into their worldview. So they, they would have a, a mixture or a hodgepodge that really is incoherent uh, in the sense that the two don't really go together, but people try to live as though they can go together uh, in their own little uh, worldview system. But if you take secular humanism to its logical end and uh, Christian theism to its logical end, to the bare bones, I think these would be the fundamental aspects related to those five categories we just talked about as it, as it relates to a worldview. So the secular humanist, how, what is their view of God? All right. Well, some would say atheistic, uh, probably a more realistic idea would be, at a minimum, agnostic. Okay, because I think atheism, in and of itself, is probably a minority. Uh, more people are agnostic than atheistic in their understanding of God. But anyway, it leans toward that side of the spectrum. Whereas Christian theism, well, we obviously would hold to the fact that there is a uh, a triune God who is the creator and sustainer of this universe. So, hence the term Christian theism. Uh, we believe in God, theos. Secondly, what to what? How does secular humanism view man? And again, this is a very surface level concepts. Okay, uh, as it relates to uh, relates to how we got here, who we are, and, and those kinds of things. Uh, ev evolution. We 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 came here by a random chance. Uh, humanistic, you know, naturalistic kind of concept of how man came about, how the universe came about. Whereas creationist, uh, Christian theism would believe in a God who created everything. And again, you get nuanced in your worldview there because there are some Christians who believe, hey, six days, like I do, God created in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. And I believe it's six literal days in uh, Genesis. Whereas there are Christians who would believe that God used some aspect of evolution to bring about uh, the, the world, or he used masses of amounts of time, that the day and age, the day uh, in Genesis is not necessarily a 24-hour day. I would disagree with that, but there are Christians who do that, so that's why I say it's kind of nuanced. But in general, Christianity would hold to God created, okay? In the beginning, God. Uh, and then he said, let there be light. And though, uh, therefore, things came into be. Then the, second, the third aspect is knowledge. So secular humanism, what about knowledge? Knowledge in the sense of, is it absolute or relative? Well, secular humanism, would give us the concept that knowledge is relative, all right? Uh, what I believe, I believe. What you believe, you believe. Well, obviously, that that uh, is self-refuting in and of itself, um, but that's the kind of construct in a secular humanist world view. Whereas the Christian would believe knowledge is, our truth is absolute, right? Because truth ultimately comes from God. Uh, and God transcends time and space. He transcends humanity. His character never changes. So uh, truth in that sense never changes. So it's absolute. 
What about knowledge? How do we know the things we know? Dealing with the issue of epistemology and things like that. Well, from the secular humanist idea, it would be natural moralism or natural materialism. You know, taste, well, we can taste, see, smell, feel, touch, uh, those kinds of things. Whereas from a Christian perspective, a Christian theistic worldview, uh, we understand things because of God revealing himself to us in creation in two aspects, general revelation and specific revelation. In, in the Bible, the, the Bible tells us clearly that God has made himself known in the creation that is about us. As a matter of fact, at our church in, in uh, Friendship Baptist Church, we're in the book of Romans. We, we just got through with Romans chapter 3, verses uh, 21 through 26 today. But in chapter 1, verses 18 and following, Paul makes that clear that God has made himself known in creation. And therefore, men are without excuse because they suppress the knowledge of God. But then God has gone farther and he's revealed himself in his word, his written word, and ultimately he's revealed himself in his son, Jesus Christ. So we have that special or specific revelation in the word of God. So our knowledge is based on fundamentally the word of God, because what we know about God is primarily from uh, the word of God. While we can have a general understanding that there is a God uh, who is sovereign and who created and sustains this world from general revelation, the specific knowledge we have about God and, and life in general is what we have as truth that comes from uh, the Word of God. And then the last is ethics or, or morality. <clears throat> so, uh, and, and it's kind of akin to truth and knowledge and ethics a little bit. Uh, so the secular humanist would say that it is really relative. It's culturally negotiated. So different cultures would have a different level or standard of uh, what they consider to be ethical or non-ethical, and so it would it would it would what what would be ethical over here might not translate completely in a different culture or a different context, and even in our own culture and context, that scale may slide uh, down the road from time to time. Whereas Christian theism, again, just like truth. Uh, we would say that it's absolute. Ethics are absolute. Morals are absolute because they come from a, a sovereign, transcendent creator who never changes, who is immutable, and therefore he has laid out the standard of morality for us in his word, specifically in the moral code, the Ten Commandments, and he's given us what he expects as holiness. And so, therefore, those are absolute. And they transcend every time and every culture. Uh, it's not specific to one place in time and one culture in time. It transcends time and culture. So it's this binding on all of humanity. And so you can see already that those two worldviews are naturally at odds with one another. And so it shouldn't shock us or surprise us. Uh, when the world does not uh, like uh, our concepts of truth and morality and ethics and knowledge and who God is and, and who man is and those kinds of things because we're naturally opposed to the secular humanistic worldview. And so the worldview from those foundational principles, it helps a person deal with what are generally the four big questions of life. You know, who am I? Uh, why am I here? 
uh, what's wrong with this world. It doesn't take us long to, to figure out that there's something wrong with the world when we live in it. And then how can we fix or how can we correct what is wrong in this world? And so through our worldview, uh, we begin to contemplate the answers to those four big questions of life. And so again, if we take these two worldviews and think through these questions, uh, we come up with some logical answers based on the fundamentals of each worldview. So who am I, right? So what would the secular humanists have to say about who is man? You know, who are we? How did we get here, right? Uh, we've already answered that, really. Uh, they, they would say, hey, I'm, I, am, I am a product of random evolutional um, choice, I guess you could say. So we're a product of evolution. It's a random choice that brought me here to this point in life in the sense of being human and being in the place that we are in time and history. Now, if you contrast that with the biblical worldview, biblical worldview would say, hey, I am the creation of God. I am the crown jewel in the creation of God. So, in those two worldviews, when you, when you parse out what this means about man, what this means about the sanctity of life, then you would come to a conclusion on the secular humanistic side, the logical end to that is that there is no intrinsic value, intrinsic value uh, in human life. In other words, human life is no more important than, you know, any other animal or creature life that is out there. Therefore, there are those out there who would say, hey, it's okay to um, kill a baby in the womb because it's not feasible or not viable, you know, the terms that are used on those arguments there. Whereas the Christian worldview would say, that because we are the creation of God, and more than that, we are the image bearers of God, we're created in His image, that there is intrinsic value and worth in every human being. Hence, we have the, the, the Bill of Rights and those things in, in the Constitution for those very reasons, because those are God-given rights that are intrinsic to humanity. Um, so we would say, yeah, no, we believe what God says about humanity. There's intrinsic value in every human being from the point of conception because the Bible clearly teaches us that God forms us in the womb of our mother. So God knows us from the moment of conception. As a matter of fact, he knows us even before the moment of our conception, but he, he forms our inmost parts. And so for us, there would be intrinsic value, and that's why uh, not everyone in Christianity, that's why some people try to blend these two, but they're, uh, they're diametrically opposed. Um, but that's why Christian worldview would say that, hey, abortion is wrong because it's murder, because that is a human being with intrinsic value. And the same thing on the other end of the spectrum. Back in the days when we had, uh, I think it was Dr. Kevorkian, you know, and the big deal about uh, uh, helping people in their life, right? Uh, well, the whole idea is we believe, or Barack Obama, sometimes you just got to take a pill or whatever and, and be done with it. But hey, what we believe is that there's intrinsic value in human life because we are the creation of God. So the other question, hey, why am I here? Well, from the secular humanistic worldview, why am I here? Well, I'm here to 
produce, to consume, to <coughs> enjoy, and be nice. All right? And just repeat that process over and over again until the day I die, and then I go back to, uh, I guess, maggot food. Whereas the Christian worldview would say that I am here because I am the creation of God. I am the crown jewel of God's creation. I'm created in God's image. God put me here for a purpose. He put me here for a reason. And that ultimate purpose and ultimate reason is to worship him and bring glory and honor to his name. So my life should be about bringing glory and honor to God's name and worshiping and adoring the God who brought me into this world. Then that leads to the third question, what, what's wrong with the world? Because I don't care if you're a secular humanist or if you're a Christian theist or anything in between, uh, you know very quickly in your life that, hey, something's not right with the world because there's so much uh, debauchery and evil and calamity and catastrophe uh, that goes on in our world, sickness and disease. So something is wrong in this world. So what is it that is wrong? Well, from the secular humanist perspective, what is wrong with this world? And if you'll just listen, you, you, you will realize, hey, we've heard this exact argument in light of the Uvalde tragedy and the other things that have happened in, in, in recent <coughs> weeks uh, in our country. Well, what's wrong with this world? Well, what's, the secular humans would say, what's wrong with this world? Why, why do people do evil things? Why, why does this calamity happen in our world? Well, the problem is well, they're, just not, they're just not educated well enough on the issues, uh, in particular, you know, guns or abortion or whatever. They're just not educated well enough. Secondly, uh, they're not legislated well enough. Okay? We, we need more and better laws. They're not educated well enough. And then thirdly, uh, there may be some mental issues in their life, and they're not medicated well enough. Okay, so we need to we need to medicate them better. We need to legislate better, and we need to educate better. Now, tell me if you haven't heard that same argument from some certain politicians in our uh, culture of late. Now, on the Christian perspective, what is what is wrong with this? world okay why is it that we see sin and calamity and catastrophe uh in our society what why we have this uh you know, man's inhumanity to man well the christian perspective is hey i'm what's wrong with this world it's sin in me that is what is wrong with this world i am the problem right it's like that old cartoon i've seen the enemy and the enemy is me right and so we know that we believe that there, man is fallen we're a fallen creation. God did create us, but Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. They disobeyed God. They rebelled against his command, and he cast them out of the garden. That sin is imputed to us, and we are sinners because of Adam's fall, but we are also sinners by choice. We are the problem. How do you fix the problem that's in this world? For us, the answer is the cross. It is Jesus Christ. That's how you fix the problem. You, men are redeemed by God. They are, trans, they are transformed in their soul, in their spirit by Almighty God. He takes out that heart of stone. He takes out uh, that, that dead, sinful heart, and he places in a heart of flesh, and he changes and transforms the character of man. He brings them from bondage to sin to life in Christ. And so that's the answer to society. And so you can see the distinction 
and again i think some of these lines get blurred a lot and we try to bank our we, we fall in lockstep i guess sometimes if you will with with the secular human society thinking that the answer is outside uh, the problem is outside of us, and therefore we have to have an answer that is about educating and legislating and medicating. And, and even Christians fall into that trap. That's why we get so worked up sometimes over the issue of elections. And get, don't get me wrong, I believe in the, that we ought to vote. We ought to vote God's the, the, the principles of God's word. But we also need to understand that there's not the, the salvation for this country is not in Washington, and it's not in Montgomery if you live in Alabama where I live. It's not in whatever state house you live in. The, the solution to the problem in this world is Jesus Christ, and we must share the gospel of Jesus Christ, and therefore when we vote, we must vote for people who would adhere to a biblical worldview to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then the thing that comes in everybody's mind, well, what about church and state separation? Well, that's not the topic of tonight, but there is no such thing as separation of church and state. There is an establishment clause in the Constitution that says the government shall not establish a religion and they shall not impede or infringe upon our free exercise of our religion, whether it be in private or in public. But that's another topic for another day we'll talk a little bit about our involvement in in that at the end of this from the practical aspect of it but our answer is not government <clears throat> our answer is christ you know it's like tony evans once said and i don't know if i get the quote exactly right but the gist of it was that if you want if you want a better nation that has better states that has better counties that has better cities uh, that has better churches, that has better families, then you got to have better people. And the, bed, the way to get better people is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And people's lives are changed by the gospel. And that, in turn, changes the direction of their family life and the direction of that family. And family changes uh, culture, ultimately. That's how we change this world, is through the gospel of, uh, of Jesus Christ. So... That leads me to the next aspect of this uh, uh, inherent in this uh, biblical worldview. I think there there are at least seven truths that I wrote down that I think are are inherent in this biblical worldview as it leads to this concept of a practical application in our lives. One, we must we do understand as Christians. And we must do so unapologetically that there is a God who has created everything. He created it. He sustains it. He is working out his plan in creation. And when the time comes, he will send his son and creation will end as we know it. And God will recreate and reestablish uh, order on this planet. And he will right everything that is wrong. So, while we ought to be, how does that look practically in our lives? Well, while, you know, the thing that comes to my mind has to do with, you know, the issue of global warming or climate change or whatever name they want to give it now. You know, here's the deal. I think as human beings, God's given us dominion over this world. That's part of our Christian worldview, right? 
He's created it. He gave us dominion. He told Adam and Eve to go and tend the garden. He told Adam and Eve to to, uh, procreate and and multiply and replenish the earth and have dominion over the animals and over the land and every aspect of the earth. So in that sense, the character of God would be that we take care of the planet that God has given to us. But we understand that God has placed us here to use the resources in a wise way that he has given us, whether it be oil or solar or wind power or whatever it is. None of those in and of themselves are evil. It's just that God's given us these resources to use. So we ought not fret, let people, we ought not let people get us in a frenzy and cause us to have fear over the issue of whether or not uh, we as human beings are going to destroy the planet by us consuming or using the resources that God has given us to consume or use. Should we be good stewards of that? Yes, we should. And that transcends the issue of whether it's going to destroy the planet or not. Should I manage my money and not wastefully you know, use, uh, use gas when I don't need to use gas or just blow it, right? No, I shouldn't do that. I should manage it and use it in a responsible way, but use it nonetheless because God has given it to us to use. And if technology advances so that those things become less economical to use and something else becomes better, then we as a society will probably shift anyway. But we don't have to let people drive us by fear because we believe as as Christians in our Christian worldview that God has created it and God will end it when it is his time and when he is ready and nothing happens in this world that is not under the purview of God. So we can't inadvertently end Uh, the planet uh, as human beings. Uh, So the next thing I wrote down is man sinned and is in need of a savior. And that leads to the whole idea of anthropology. We talked about that, right? For the most part, if you were here, uh, if you were at church last week at Friendship, you would have heard this. You know, the world outside of Christianity in particular, and I'm talking about Orthodox Christianity, Uh, The world outside of that generally has this concept that man is inherently good. And the problem in this world is not man, it's everything outside of man. It's his nature and uh, upbringing. I mean, not his nature, but his nurture, you know, and those kinds of things. Whereas we understand that the problem ultimately is in us. It is sin. And the only thing that can change that problem is Christ Jesus. And we won't belabor that point uh, again, but that's the answer. And God sent his son to take care of that problem. Fourth thing I wrote down is God has revealed himself through general uh, revelation, which is creation and special revelation. So we have what God wants us to know about him, and our lives ought to be governed around the truth that God has revealed to us in his word and through his son. And then finally, God's decreed the fundamental order of society in this word that God has given to us, this specific revelation that God has given to us, God has decreed the the fundamental created order of humanity, which inherent to that is the construct of family and societal order based on God's construct of family. And that's kind of where I want to, I want to, I want to bring this thing to tonight. Because that's the battle, that, that, that's the frontline battle today. And it has been the frontline battle for most of my life. 
and probably if, if I was older, it would probably have been going on for centuries and maybe throughout history it's probably been the same. But the enemy's ultimate goal or ultimate frontline battle is to destroy God's created order as it relates to the family unit. Because if he can destroy the family unit, then he can bring disorder and chaos to society. And if you just look out into our world today, it seems like he is doing a very good job of that. So what, what I mean by that, this created order, because everything that's happening in our society as it relates to the debauchery that's on display, all of the things that the people of this world are saying to us, you need to get on board with this. This is the enlightened way to live. Uh, this, these are the right ways. These are, these are the, 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 the ways of higher thinking, you know, when it relates to the alphabet mafia, the, you know, the uh, LGBTQA2+, and whatever other acronym they'll put, you know, the plus is there to catch everything else. But on the front lines of that, when we first, when this, in my life at least, because you know, I'm, I'm a product of the late 60s, okay, 1968. So really, this, what I'm about to talk about started before me, but the, the sexual revolution of the 60s, right? I, I think that's one, at least in, in our historical context, right before my lifetime and in that, up to now, the beginning of this idea, and I know it went beyond that, but at least from my perspective, that uh, is a point in time I can look back to in history and say the sexual revolution of the 60s was one of the tools that, the, that Satan used, the spirit of this age used to begin to destroy the concept of the nuclear family in America, uh, at least. And so it, it was, you know, free sex and love or whatever. And then shortly after that, and probably along with that, again, like I say, that was a little bit before my time, but at least in my lifetime, <coughs> homosexuality began to, to be what was pushed uh, in society. It was, it was, we, were, we were being groomed, to use the term of the, day, of the day. We were being groomed by media and by culture and by uh, government leaders. We were being groomed to, to accept uh, homosexuality as the norm. And, you know, for a while, everybody, you know, pushed back for the most part. But now, as you, if you can look in life, homosexuality has become uh, a mainstream concept now. And then that is translated to all other things. The big, the big thing right now is transgenderism, right? Transgenderism is at the forefront of, of everything now. And, and what, what's happening with all these things? With the sexual revolution, it's, it, went, it, it went against God's created order for sex. Because what is God's created order? God's created order from the very beginning. He created them male and female, right? And male and female joined together in marriage, right? A man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they were to have produce offspring to produce children. Malachi tells us that they were to produce children. One of the reasons was to bring about godly offspring. So at the heart of God's created order was the concept of the nuclear family where one man and one woman came together for a lifetime. They produced children. They, and they, they taught them the precepts and concepts of God's word, and they developed society around that nuclear <coughs> family. So what's the secular revolution say? Well, sex is not just for marriage. 
and like God says, it's for marriage. It's, it's, it's a benefit for marriage, and it's a tool in marriage to help produce godly offspring. Well, not so, says the society. That ought to be just something we do for pleasure however we want to do it, right? And so they begin to erode away at the sanctity of marriage and the sanctity of the, 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 the physical relationship between a husband and a wife. And then the same thing with homosexuality. What is that? That is going against the God's created orders. It relates to the nuclear family. Uh, you know, it no longer does it have to be uh, a man and a woman. It can be a man and a man and a, a woman and a woman, right? Well, that goes against the created order. God says male and female, right? And they come together in holy matrimony and they produce children. So it goes against not only the created order, but the biological construct of the created order because a man and a man and a man and a woman cannot produce children cannot produce uh, offspring and so it began again to erode the concept of the nuclear family even when we uh, the supreme court says hey okay uh, gay marriage have at it right uh, you, you, can, you can do it well that goes against god's created order so the spirit of this age is constantly about eroding the nuclear family and in turn eroding the intrinsic value of manhood and womanhood and the intrinsic value that God has given to each one of them and the, the complementary role that God has given to each one of them as it relates uh, to marriage. So all of this is about undermining the nuclear family and bringing, wreaking havoc on society in that way, bringing disorder and discontent in society. Now they're, they're trumping it up as, hey, this is a higher enlightened society, but it's ultimately bringing disorder and discontent uh, to society and, it, and it's crumbling and eroding the structure that God created society to, to function on. And then you come to the idea of transgenderism, which is, again, just another level, another step in eroding this concept of manhood and womanhood and eroding this concept of God's created order. Man and woman come together in holy matrimony, produce offspring, and raise those offsprings in the admonition of the Lord, <coughs> as the Bible says. So all of these things are meant to destroy God's fundamental created order. And so we as Christians, when we stand on these values, on these biblical values of the created order as it relates to marriage and, and the nuclear family, then we are actually standing against these issues of error in, in marriage. We're standing against homosexual marriage. We're standing against uh, transgenderism. We're standing against, uh, you know, sexual promiscuity. Uh, we're standing against, uh, you know, improper and false education because all of these things are beginning to impact not just the family. They're reaching into our school systems right now to try to reach younger and younger children to groom them toward these ideologies so that as they grow that this won't be a shock to their system because they've been raised in a Christian home. No, they'll, they'll begin to accept these things because they're grooming them and even uh, in, 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 and even encouraging them to accept and, tra and, and, and engage in these activities uh, as early as possible. So you as I as believers, whenever we hold to our Christian worldview, this I guess we're already getting into the practical application of it. Whenever we hold to our Christian uh, worldview, 
we are in essence by fiat standing against those things in this culture that are contrary to that Christian world uh, worldview. And so the enemy is out to kill and destroy that created order. And so I think that we as believers are morally obligated to stand against those things verbally, by the way we vote, and in practice, by structuring our home, the foundational element of society, by structuring our home around biblical doctrine, biblical principles, biblical concepts. And that's where the rubber meets the road. If we want to change society, that's where it's going to have to start. It's when we take seriously our role as Christians to... Uh, one one passage. I'll just read the action points that I got and give you the verses that I that uh, I thought about when I was thinking about these action points. One of the things that we must do first. You remember that quote from Tony Evans? Uh, it ultimately went down to individuals, and it parallels what we will read in a moment from uh, Deuteronomy, um, because ultimately, if change is going to come, it's going to come to every individual through a redeeming relationship with Jesus Christ. So we as individuals, what can we do as it relates to this Christian worldview, maintaining it and and using our Christian worldview in a way that will affect change in society? Well, one, we need to make sure that as individuals, our lives are structured around the truths of the Word of God. And this morning in my sermon, I used a, uh, a cross-reference as it relates to us being bought with a price, the, the Jesus paying uh, the price of our redemption with his blood. And it was 1 Corinthians 6.20. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says you were bought with a price. And the, the last part of that, that verse, is the last phrase of it, is where I want to camp out on as it relates to this issue of our individual lives. lives. It says you were bought with a price. So... Glorify God in your bodies. So as individuals, God has redeemed us and transformed us. And it just blows my mind how people can stand up and preach and proclaim that a person can come to faith in Christ, get their ticket punched for heaven, and they still go live like the world. That There's no biblical concept of that because our, we will know them by the fruits that they bear. God expects a change and transformation in our life. Salvation is not just about getting a ticket punch to go to heaven. Salvation is ultimately about bowing our knee to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We bow our will to His will. We surrender our life to His will. And it changes and impacts us because God has redeemed us. And we, as individuals, have to live that way. We have to live in light of the righteousness that Christ has bestowed upon us. God's righteousness has been imputed to us. His Holy Spirit has been given to us and is working about sanctification in our lives. And we ought to live in light of that sanctification. We have culpability in that sanctifying process here on earth. That's why Paul writes in ways where he says, take off the old man, put on the new man, right? That's why he talks about mortifying the flesh. 
you and I have some culpability in this sanctifying process. God is working sanctification in us, but we also have to put off and put on and and live and act in ways that are in con- that are in that are congruent with God's word. So as individuals we have to do that. That means dads and moms you have to do that, right? And I get it. They, they, our world is far from perfect. And I know there are a lot of single moms and a lot of single dads out there. And I, I get it, all right? And not, not putting any of that down, you know. It's not God's perfect choice, but right now it's the life that you're living. And I know it's a struggle and it's tough. But mom, single mom, single dad, or a couple mom and dad... Each one of you as individuals, if you want to effect biblical change in your family, in your home, you first and foremost have to live in accordance to the righteousness that God has bestowed upon you. And then you can impart that to your children. You can lead that to lead your spouse in that or lead your your child uh, into that. And that that's the Second action point, if we want to see this biblical worldview affect change in our life, then we've got to get serious about structuring our families around this biblical worldview. And that impacts how we're going to educate our children. That's the third action point, really. We need to understand that it is our responsibility to educate our children. Now look, my wife and I, before we got married, we dated for six years before we got married. Courted, really. You would call it dating, what you want to. We courted for six years before we got married. From the time we was, uh, I was 14 to the time I was 20. We got married when I was 20 years old. And so we decided, well, in those six years, we talked about all of these issues. And we had decided before we ever got married that we were going to homeschool our children mainly because we didn't, even back then, we didn't want the government indoctrinating our children uh, with the spirit of this age's worldview. That was our responsibility. And of course, you know, my, my, my heart is, my desire is that every Christian parent would homeschool, would pull their children out of public education and that they would take the reins of the education of their children. I know some people do it with private schools, some people do it with private Christian schools, but I'm telling you, it is your responsibility to educate your children. God has placed that responsibility on your shoulders. And I get it. It takes sacrifice. Believe me, we know it takes sacrifice. From the time we had our first child, my wife has been a homemaker from that day forward, okay? And so that means we hadn't always had the fanciest of cards. We hadn't always had the, the, the most money in the bank, in the bank account. And so, you know, we made some sacrifices intentionally so that we could take the greater responsibility of raising our children and teaching them in the admonition of the Lord. And every one of us have that responsibility. Take ownership of that. As a matter of fact, the Bible clearly teaches us that. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 9, Moses talking to the children of Israel, and these words, talking about the commands of God, the precepts of God, the, the concepts that God had given them, I command you today, 
shall be on your heart. Again, going back to the individual, right? It's got to be on the individual's heart first. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall take talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between our eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And if you need a New Testament reference that helps you understand this, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction uh, of the Lord. It is our responsibility. And you might say, hey, this sounds just like, you know, this is just, this is just spiritual stuff. But it's beyond that. I mean, how do you think most people were educated before there was ever a public school? Right? It's our responsibility to educate our children and even more so today because there is an intentional effort to indoctrinate our children away from the Christian worldview and values that most of us will hold to uh, in uh, as believers or at least the people who probably listen to this the majority of you would hold to these values so it is imperative on you to take the reins of raising and teaching your children because the government and the uh, spirit of this age is after their minds and is bringing, uh, using the tool of education to try to capture their minds and turn them away from God. So I, I would encourage you to think long and hard about that, that issue. And if you've got questions about the issue of homeschooling and how that works and how you can be a part of that, we'll please send us a message and we'll be glad to help you along that way because we, we have walked that road. All of our kids are grown, are, are grown and gone now, but we have walked that road from the first to the last. Uh, they were all homeschooled. And then the fourth and final thing, and we could talk about this all night, but uh, probably be the shortest uh, Facebook Live we've done. But we could talk about this all night, but here's the last thing I will say about this. We as believers have a God-given obligation to speak to error. Okay? Let me just read the passage and then, then we'll talk about it for just a moment and then we'll wind this up. We as believers have a God-given obligation to speak truth to error. Ephesians 4.25 Therefore, having put away falsehood, let every one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are all our members one of another. Ephesians 5.11 Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. And then 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 5 We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Now those verses, at least in my estimation, have within them the implication that we as believers have an obligation to speak truth to error. Because one of the things that people always raise about Christianity and Christians is, you know, why, why are you getting involved with politics? Why are you getting involved with, with government issues and legislation and all that kind of stuff? And they always throw up the separation of church and state or at least, hey, you, you keep your religion at home or whatever it may be. But my retort to that is every legislative matter 
is a moral issue. Therefore, every election has moral implications and every political candidate has a moral structure code by which they are going to go and cast votes to make laws that are trying to govern morality, right? And my thing is, you're never going to be able to govern morality. You're never going to be able to legislate morality, okay? We have seen that ad nauseum in our lifetimes. No matter what law you put up there, someone is going to break the law, right? So, it goes back to that, that flawed worldview that the, the, the problem is out there, <coughs> therefore we have to have better laws, right? Because we're not legislated enough. But we as believers, if every legislation has moral implications and ethical implications, then if you think about the logical conclusion of, of these two worldviews we've talked about tonight, the only one that has a leg to stand on as it relates to making a wise decision about moral issues is the Christian theistic worldview. Why? Because in Christian theistic moral view, we understand, that, or in worldview, we understand that God, the creator of this universe, who is sovereign and uh, transcendent and immutable, he never changes, out of his character, he has laid out for us what is right and what is wrong. As a matter of fact, if there is no transcendent, holy, righteous God from which right and wrong are, are determined, then you have no boundary for what is right and what is wrong. Therefore, the secular humanistic worldview, the atheistic worldview, the evolution worldview, if you have no transcendent divine creator who is holy and righteous and just, to give an absolute standard for right and wrong, you have no basis for what is right and wrong. Who cares? If you're a product of chance evolution, you know, who cares if someone shoots someone else? Isn't that the survival of the fittest, right? Or isn't that just the progression of one species over another? Who says it's right or wrong? You know, who says that rape is right or wrong if you have no transcendent uh, absolute moral value of what is right and what is wrong? Who determines that? You? The next society, the governor who's in office at this moment, maybe it's changed when the next one gets up there. So see, that they have no concept of absolute morality. It changes with the wind. So they have no means by which to logically legislate morality or legislate from a moral perspective. The only people, I believe, who can speak logically and coherently to the issue of morality are those who understand that there is a transcendent lawgiver who has determined for us what is holy and what is right. Therefore, we know what is wrong because it goes against what is holy and what is right as given to us by Almighty God. So we must speak to the moral issues of the day because we have the truth that will back up the claims of morality, whereas the other worldview has no basis for truth or morality. It doesn't really matter because what is moral to one person may not be moral 
to another person. And we're supposed to be okay with that, aren't we? Isn't that what their worldview tells us? When we say that God created them male and female, they say, hey, don't worry about that biology stuff. You be what you want to be. Don't worry about what God has said in his word. Don't worry about what all of history has been uh, living by, male and female, and the natural biological process of producing life. Don't worry about all those things, right? The new moral thing is you can be whatever you want to be. And we need to let our kids, as, you know, even in preschool or even in kindergarten or, or lower grades, we need, to, we need to encourage them to express those same ideas. Who do you think has the leg to stand on there, right? In one breath, don't follow the science. In another breath, hey, you need to follow the science, right? Well, which is it? You can't, you know, they want to have their cake and eat it too. Whereas God's word says that is wrong. That, that is absolutely wrong, and we must stand up against those kinds of things in our society. And we could go down that list uh, all night long of what would, we would think would be right and wrong. And, and hey, one other thing as I go, one of my pet peeves, you know, I get so sick of people saying we ought to be known by what we believe rather than what we disagree with, right? Or what do we what we. Uh, uh, what we agree with rather than what we disagree with or however it goes. Here's the reality of the situation. When we tell people what we believe, we are automatically telling them what we do not believe, right? Or what we do not agree with because we have just told them what we do agree with. So don't let people bring that argument up to your faith. If they don't like that, I'm sorry because everybody else doesn't have a problem with letting me know what they believe and what they don't like about what I believe. So I think that God has given us that obligation to do the very same thing, to speak truth to error in society. And we must start speaking truth to error in our own homes to our children. And then, you know, because our children, they're like quivers in the bow, right? Isn't that what the Bible says? They're like quivers in the bow. And we raise those children up like quivers, like arrows, excuse me, arrows in the quiver. <laughs> arrows in the quiver that we put in our bow and we launch out into society. And we, we set them loose on society as we have raised them in the, in, in, the, in the discipline and the admonition of the Lord. And so they can go into society and they can advance the kingdom of God. That's, that's what it's about. That's what God has called us to be. That's grassroots Christianity right there. Everybody don't have to go around the world uh, to be a missionary. We, we can do that. Some people do do that. But the greatest mission need in our society at this moment is in the home. And we need to take that responsibility uh, seriously. Well, that's my spiel tonight on this issue of um, Christian worldview. Hopefully it was beneficial to you. Uh, if you got questions related to that, just drop them in the comments and uh, we'll try to answer those. Or if you got questions related to homeschool, drop them in the comments and we, we'll make contact with you on those issues too and to help you with that. So hope you guys have a great rest of the night and a great weekend.